The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Rotowire Prospect Podcast. I'm your host, James Anderson, and today's episode will be a special episode where I will answer all of your questions about the Top 400 Prospect Rankings update, which went live on the site Monday night. Uh, January 15th. Uh, that includes the international players who signed on January 15th. Since then, the team top 20s are also updated to reflect the update, and I'll be doing more work on those in the coming weeks uh, to kind of fill in for the the non-top 400 guys towards the back of the weaker farm systems. The ETAs are fully updated. The OBP arrows are updated for hitters. The top 100 first-year player draft rankings are fully updated on the site. You can find those under the Prospects tab. The first-year player draft blueprint was pushed back uh, just so I could get the top 400 done on the 15th, but that'll be up either Thursday or Friday as well. The Dynasty rankings will be updated sometime next week. So the main takeaway here is that it's the perfect time for you to sign up for your 2024 Rotowire baseball subscription. For the most part, everyone who asked a reasonable question got one answered on the pod. And if you ask multiple questions, I will still try to answer all of them in the article version, but that'll be up on the site tomorrow, Thursday. Uh, and then if you asked a question on the RotoWire Discord channel specifically for the pod, uh, that gets you moved to the front of the line for these uh, mailbag episodes. So uh, without further ado, we'll start off with Aaron Wade. Uh, he says, I know you say to not pay too much attention to the double down arrows with these updates, but any specific reason Drew Thorpe dropped around 15 spots or just needing to make room for new guys? Uh, if anything, he thought Thorpe's long-term value might be slightly on the rise with the trade to a better ballpark, clearer opportunity. Yeah, I can definitely see how <clears throat> Thorpe moving down would be would feel sort of counterintuitive. And I do agree that it is an upgrade in team context, uh, but it's mostly just due to like, I got more and more worried about the fastball. Just the more I looked into him, um, you know, it's not like a low to mid nineties fastball. It's just, it's a low nineties fastball, you know, 91, 92. Um, everything else is great. I, you know, I think he's really got a lot going for him. He checks a lot of boxes, but I felt I had him ranked too high for a guy that uh, really only, has barely played at double a at five starts at double a um you know so for a guy that's just got five starts at double a has a 
you know, not a plus fastball, probably like an average at best fastball. Uh, still an accomplishment, I think, for a guy like that to be in the top 100. Uh, next question is from uh, John McKechnie, uh, great coworker here at Rotowire. Uh, miss you, John. Um, he wants to know if Jackson Holiday losing his grip on the top spot uh, was due to Holiday or whether Wyatt Langford just took the crown from him. Uh, I do think it's scary to have a prospect as good as Holiday at two and not at one, um, but I just it's kind of a testament to really how loaded uh, that top four is, but um, especially that top two. Like I, I didn't really consider Jackson Churio or, or Junior Caminero for the top spot, but um, you know I think Holiday has the highest floor of any prospect in baseball, um, but I just think Langford has more impact potential uh, presently. Um, you know, I've made this analogy before, but I, I kind of think Holiday's prime might start in 2025, 2026, something like that, uh, whereas Langford's prime could start as early as this season. So uh, it's it's a no-brainer to me to prefer Langford over Holiday in the short term. Um, you know, if you only really care about where these guys are going to be at, like come 2026, I think you can make a case for, for Holiday over Langford. But uh, I mean, you could make a case for Holiday over Langford anyways, but um, yeah, it is. It doesn't feel good to not have Holiday in the number one spot, uh, but I just—it's more about just how impressive Langford is and just how perfectly his game fits uh, the fantasy game. Uh, Todd Whitestone, uh, how you doing, Todd? He wants my assessment of Jordan Lawler's hit tool. Asks, is he more of a contact bat, or do you expect him to show power? Uh, I think Lawler's the total package and a potential five-tool player. The power will be there. I'm not really worried about the power. Uh, I think he's got 30-30 upside. Uh, maybe it's maybe it starts as more like 20-30, and then it's 25-25, something like that. Maybe it eventually gets like 30-20, something like that. But uh, not worried about the power with Lawler. Three questions with him. Uh, is he going to be like a 250 hitter or a 275 type of hitter in the big leagues? I think that's up for debate, um, and we'll, we'll see. Uh, he obviously was fantastic in the minor leagues, especially after the first month or so last year, and was fantastic at AAA. But when he was at AAA, that was kind of a weak part in the calendar for AAA pitching. And then obviously he looked over a match in a tiny sample in the big leagues. Um, so, you know, is he going to be a 250 hitter or a, a 275 hitter? Like that's, that's up for debate. Uh, is he going to be ready for – big league pitching in 2024, particularly early 2024, or will there be growing pains in his age 21 season? Uh, wouldn't be anything wrong with him, you know, struggling a little bit more uh, against big league pitching, just given how young he is. But um, I think it's TBD, you know, how quick, how quickly he's ready to just kind of hold his own uh, consistently against big league pitching. And then, you know, is when will Arizona give him the opportunity? I think that's up for debate as well. And really it's kind of all in Lawler's hands. I think he could win the job in spring training. Geraldo Perdomo would be a, a very high end um, utility infielder if they wanted to go that route, but they also just, they have the pieces to send Lawler to AAA for you know, a month or two, depending on how he looks in the spring. So there are definitely questions with Lawler, but um, it's, it's kind of like, does he have a, an average hit tool or an above average hit tool? And then the other questions are all just kind of short term. 
Um, so just, I love Lawler long-term, definitely not worried about the power. Um, just kind of a question of when he sort of uh, comes into his own against big league pitching. Uh, Ross Redkay says, what has you moving Colson Montgomery down? Is it the Sox org, uh, the health issues? Uh, I just, I don't think Colson Montgomery is that special uh, for Roto fantasy. Uh he should be an everyday player who hits in the top three of the White Sox lineup eventually. Uh, but I do think he'll be better in OBP leagues than batting average leagues. Uh, the top 400 is loosely based on average leagues, but I do have those OBP arrows in there. Um, and, you know, maybe like I'm kind of envisioning Colson Montgomery being a 250, 350, 450 type of slash line at peak, uh, maybe 20 to 25 homers. Um, that's, that's a very useful player. He'll be a useful player for a long time, but he's not like a game changer. Like I don't, I don't think he's going to be a top 10 fantasy shortstop. Um, I, I feel good about having him ranked by Marcelo uh, Mayer, by Brooks Lee, some other shortstops who kind of have similar uh, fantasy profiles. Um, so, it, you know, and the other thing is like Montgomery was awesome. It, you know, when he first got healthy last year, but the production was just, it was just kind of okay. Um, once he got to an age appropriate level, you know, in the AFL. So good prospect, not a special prospect for fantasy. I don't think, uh, Brenton says, uh, who are your top five arms that get 10 plus big league starts in 2024? Uh, easy for me, Kyle Harrison, the clear top guy in terms of pitching prospects for 2024, he's going to open the year in a big league rotation. Great ballpark. I thought he, um, was really kind of the victim of the automated balls and strike system last year at AAA. And then when he got to the big leagues and was facing human umpires, uh, showed starter level command. So I like Kyle Harrison. And then the next three are going to be stash guys. Um, Paul Skeens, Cade Horton, Jackson Job. Those are my top three pitching prospects in the game. I think they all make double digit starts in the big leagues if they stay healthy. Uh, of course, one of them or multiple of them will, will not stay healthy, but, um, you know, it's not a loaded crop of pitching prospects for 2024. Um, so Skeens, Horton, Job, just based on their upside. Uh, and I do think they're on track to be in the big leagues for a decent amount of the season. And then AJ Smith Shaver with Atlanta. I'll have him round out the top five there. Uh, Devon Rosine says Xavier Isaac ahead of Samuel Basayo is fun. What pushes him ahead for you? Um, well, there's there's some anchoring going on here. I've believed in Isaac for much longer than I've believed in Basayo. So he had a big head start on Basayo on the rankings, but but more so it's just like Isaac, I think, comfortably projects as like a 650 plate appearance guy in his prime, whereas Basayo could just be a 450 plate appearance guy, at least early on in his big league career. Uh, if Basayo was Baltimore's clear everyday first baseman of the future, they'd be right next to each other. I just don't, uh, I don't think the Orioles are going to trade Basayo. I think they love the fact that they're going to have two really good catchers eventually. And I'm sure they will get uh, Basayo and Rutschman starts at DH and they might even be able to get Basayo some starts at first base. But when you've got guys like Kobe Mayo and Heston Kirstead, um, not to mention the, the veterans they have in place there, it's just hard for me to envision Basayo competing with Isaac from a playing time standpoint. Um, but skills wise, I think they're, they're very similar. Uh, Charlie's says uh, Jet Williams 
appears to be inside your top 25. What is the thought process for the jump? Uh, well, I know you're you're a longtime listener, Charlie's. Uh, Jet didn't jump at all. He was 14th on the last update. He's 14th on this update. I know I did see some people kind of commenting on where I had Jet, but he actually didn't move from the last update till now. I think it might have just been people sort of seeing it, whereas, you know, no shame in not, you know, paying attention to that last update of the season. I, you know, that's at the end of the regular season. You know, some people moved on to football at that point, but I did have Jet Williams 14th at the end of the season. He was 14th on this update. Uh, the thing with Williams is that, yes, the, you know, he's undersized. Uh, the power will likely be the weakest part of his game for fantasy, but I do think he's a 20 homer guy at peak. Um, he's got the strength in his arms, his forearms. He's got the bat speed, uh, and he's got the elite approach. Um, I think his hit tool is going to be elite. I think his you know, speed's obviously big time. Um, so I just – he just checks all the boxes for me, even though he is undersized, even though he's not going to be like a 30 homer guy. Uh, just love Jet Williams game for fantasy. Um, JLD says, where will Jackson Holiday rank among shortstops in two to three years? Uh, he, sh you know, I think it'll be top three. I think it's, it's Jackson Holiday. And then it's Bobby Witt and Elliot De La Cruz. I think those are the obvious candidates to be the number one overall shortstop in two to three years uh you know i think by the middle of the 2026 season jackson holly will be a top three shortstop for for fantasy um paul asks what's the outlook for tink hence uh, tink hence was a faller on this update uh well he's coming off his worst run as a pro um, at double A and there's reports that his breaking ball has regressed uh, quite a bit. And I've always been a bit worried about durability with hence due to his size and, and his velocity at such a young age. So I'm backing off. Like I, he's not a drop or anything, um, but I don't think he's a buy low. I don't like the idea of really buying low on pitching prospects. I think pitching prospects just kind of show you with their performance, how good they are. Um, so I wouldn't be buying low on Hentz, wouldn't be dropping Hentz, um, but I also wouldn't be target. I wouldn't be targeting him in a startup or anything like that. Um, you're, I'm really always looking for pitchers who are trending up, especially when we're looking at guys at like Double A, Triple uh, A. If you're regressing or, or having issues, there's always plenty of other pitching prospects to get excited about who aren't having any issues. So um, really, just trying to find pitchers who are ascending, and, and that's not the case with Hentz anymore. Uh, Dynasty Junkie says, it seems you've become more interested in NFC leagues in the last two seasons or so, but I'd like to hear about how the year is looking for you in your Dynasty leagues and what's it like playing in Dynasty leagues with your work being so prominent. Uh, yeah, I mean, I absolutely love the NFBC game. Um, part of it is the like uh, return on investment, um, but also just I trading is like my least favorite part of fantasy, so... Uh, there's no trading in the NFBC. Um, so love that. And But in Dynasty, uh, this is this is my third year in the Highlander Dynasty Invitational. It'll be the first year where I expect to actually feel the full lineup of active big leaguers. So I've got uh, one of the two or three youngest teams in that league, but uh, pretty much you know a bunch of guys that have ascended to the big league level. Um, but I'm, you know, I'm liking my build there. Uh, 2025, probably the soonest I could uh, truly contend in that league. Uh, 
just kind of barely cashed in a couple other dynasty leagues. Um, Devil's Rejects uh, being one of those with with Eno. Um, I, I think the top two teams in in DR are going to be tough to cash next year. Uh, and then um, I you know I've got two teams where I lost Brandon Woodruff and Sandy Alcantara. Uh, it's kind of my two aces. Uh, so it's going to be kind of a gap year uh, in 2024 on those two teams um, where starting pitching was already maybe my shallowest position. So uh, tough to contend when you lose two aces. Um, and then uh, I won two out of my three head-to-head points uh, keeper leagues last year. Um, those leagues have existed for 15 plus years. So it was fun to take uh, two of those down. Uh so, but like, you know, I, I won two keeper leagues, I cashed in two dynasty leagues, but even that doesn't like add up to just winning one NFBC league. So um, that comes back to the ROI aspect, but um, a really exciting development in terms of dynasty is that I am in my first startup since uh, the Highlander. I'm co-managing a startup there. Um, I'll show I'll show you all the, uh, the startup roster when I do my uh, dynasty rankings update in a week, uh, but feel decent about winning that league in year one. All uh, right. Next question. Steve Stoughton says, talk about two pitchers and two hitters who are currently outside the top 50 that have top 10 potential. Uh, I almost never rank pitchers in the top 10. So I will amend that question to which pitchers could be the top pitching prospect in the game. A year from now, uh, who are not in my top 50? Bubba Chandler, obvious answer there. I think he's got as good a chance as anyone to be the number one pitching prospect in baseball this time next year. Uh, Chandler, obviously, with the Pirates. Really came on strong last year. Just love his stuff, love his size, athleticism. He's the total package. And I've got him at 52 overall, so just outside the top 50. 12th among all pitchers. And then Dylan Lesko with the Padres, he's at 66 overall. He's another obvious candidate to shoot up the rankings. Last year was his first year back from Tommy John surgery, so he just needs to show he can stay healthy, uh, pitch deep into games, all that stuff. But uh, Chandler and Lesko, um, two pitching prospects who could really uh, rise up the rankings. Then for hitters, uh, Leo DeVries, uh, international guy with the Padres, who talked about last week. And then Sebastian Walcott with the Rangers, Drew Jones with the Dimebacks. They seem like the most likely post 50 hitters to shoot up into the top 10, just based on, you know, tools, pedigree, uh, youth. Um, But really for that question, you're looking for high schoolers or international guys who have barely played, Um, you know, college guys, guys who've been in pro ball for a couple of years. They're very unlikely to rise up into that top 10 because we have a sample. We kind of know what their game's all about. Um, There's the high school hitters, in the 2023 draft, just a bunch of them. And I've got a bunch of them kind of clustered around 100 overall. Any of those guys could just have a monster year and shoot up uh, kind of like Roman Anthony did this past year. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. According to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, 
the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Um, Max 20 Air says, in first-year player drafts, how much of a drop-off is Matt Shaw? from a tier that includes Langford, Cruz, Yamamoto, Jenkins, and Skeens. Is it worth paying up to get into the top five of the draft? Uh, well, I have different tiers than than you're kind of alluding to. I think Langford is in a tier above, or Langford and Yamamoto are in a tier above Cruz, Jenkins, and Skeens, and I think Shaw's in that tier with Cruz, Jenkins, and Skeens. Uh, so I think um, picking at six is great because – like the worst you're going to do is Matt Shaw at six, but you might get Paul Skeens. You might get Walker Jenkins. So I think picking six is great. Uh, Aaron Stoltenberg, what's your projected 2025 top five next year at this time? Um, Walker Jenkins is the guy that I think is going to be the number one prospect in baseball next year. Roman Anthony, I don't think he'll graduate this year, so I think he'll be top five. Jet Williams, I don't think he'll graduate. He'll be top five. And then Xavier Isaac with the Rays, Lazaro Montes with the Mariners. Um, you know, maybe an outside chance we see Isaac this year, uh, but more likely Isaac debuts in 2025. And then Lazaro Montes, he might not even debut till 2026. But um, that'd be my that'd be my prediction for top five. But you know, that's really hard to predict obviously uh o's flows says uh double down arrows for josue de paula of the dodgers any specific concerns so you know nothing's really changed about de paula's offensive profile but 
Kyle Glazer of uh, Baseball America is, does the Dodgers stuff for them and has seen DePaul alive. Uh, basically insinuated that he's uh, going to be a DH, uh, or at least that's the way his defense is trending. So that just puts immense pressure on the bat, and it's going to slow his climb through the minor leagues. And it's just, you know it's a little surprising to me, just given uh, his athletic bloodlines. Obviously, famously related to uh, stuff on Marbury and Sebastian Telfair of the NBA. Uh, but it's just you know an instincts thing, and just not a good outfielder at all. Um, so if DePaul is going to be a DH, um, I mean that maybe gives even more credence to the like mini Jordan. Uh, nickname that he got a year ago, but um, if he's going to be a DH, he just has to absolutely rake, and and he could, but uh, he's also going to move slower up the ladder. Uh, Joel Wesseling says, how much would Jason Dominguez move up if he was starting 2024 healthy? Um, and then as a Reds fan, why so low on Edwin Arroyo? It seemed you'd come around and make some win. Um, only to back off. Uh, was it was a cup of coffee that scary? Um, so Joel snuck three questions in here uh, with one tweet. Good job, Joel. Um, but uh, Jason Dominguez would be fifth, uh, and he was almost fifth anyways um, with the Tommy John surgery. You're just not breaking in that top four of uh, Langford, Holiday, uh, Churio, and Caminero. And then it's it's funny you asked about Edwin Arroyo and Mason Wynn, the same question. Um, they're actually kind of similar in terms of uh, – what they could do for fantasy, uh, except that win is Garrett, like wins. I'm very confident win is the Cardinals shortstop of the future. Whereas Arroyo, if you kind of look at the red step chart, uh, probably needs a trade or he'll break in as a utility player. Um, and then Arroyo's an extra like year plus behind win in terms of getting to the big leagues. But otherwise those guys are kind of similar. And um, the win question gets to um, a question like, tiers I, I love talking about tiers whenever there's a big update to the rankings um like i think that top four is a tier uh and then i think there's a tier basically from lawler at five all the way to matt shaw at 19 but then i think there's a tier from 20 uh, which is matt painter really all the way down to coles montgomery at 62 it's a massive group of guys um after Matt Shaw at 19. So if you, um, you know, if you need a shortstop who's going to be in the big leagues this year, you want some speed, you can push win up uh, higher, you know, 10, 20 spots or so. But uh, it is important to note that, and this will tie into some other questions too, but really from like 20 to 62, it's, it's kind of personal preference in that range. So um James Shoes, James Hose, I'm not sure exactly what he's going for there, but he says uh, the Dodgers have a number of interesting pitching prospects in Kyle Hurt, River Ryan, Jackson Ferris, etc. Which do you foresee actually breaking into the major league rotation and uh, sticking in that rotation given their new acquisitions? He says he's seen uh, River Ryan um, ranked highly on other lists. What makes me lower? And then he wants to know who my favorite pitcher in the Dodgers org is, uh, pitching prospect. So we're obviously excluding like guys like Emmett Sheehan here who aren't uh, prospect eligible. Um, but I know it's a boring answer. I'm sure plenty of people are like shaking their heads. But Gavin Stone's my favorite pitching prospect in the Dodgers org for fantasy because I think he's a true starting pitcher. 
And I don't think they're going to pull the plug on that development anytime soon because he's just, he's not the type of guy where you rush him to the bullpen. Um, I thought he showed signs of life towards the end of the year, um, both in the majors and the minors. And so he's like Gavin Stone is going to come to spring training this year. He's going to be on the outside looking in at, at a rotation spot, but I wouldn't be surprised at all if Gavin Stone had a, had a big spring training and looked like he was ready for, for another shot in that rotation. Um, River Ryan, like I think he's a reliever. Um, the stuff is good, uh, and it's good enough that I still ranked him under the expectation that he'll be a reliever. And I will have a relief pitching prospect article in a in a few weeks uh, where I'll I'll mention guys like River Ryan. But uh, you know, I I know he's younger than his age in terms of pitching development as a converted position player, but he's still 25 years old and had a 13.1. K minus walk rate at double A last year. Like that's just, it's not good. Uh, I just, I, everything's pointing to the bullpen for me with, with Ryan. I love Kyle hurt. Uh, I think he's got the best pure present stuff of any of these guys, um, but they could opt to move him to the bullpen. And I love Jackson Ferris. I thought that was a great trade for the Dodgers, um, but he's still super risky multiple years away from the big leagues. I think Nick Frasso is a reliever as well, but a better one than River Ryan. And I like Justin Robleski, uh, lefty, and, and Peyton Martin. Uh, Martin's a few years away from the big leagues. He's really risky. Uh, you know, Hyun Sok Jang is a fun wild card uh, with the Dodgers. And then Maddox Bruns is another exciting reliever prospect. Um, you know, it's a, just a great system. They're, they're always turning guys out there. Uh, and the, the nice thing about Kyle Hurt relative to like River Ryan. Maddox Bruns is that even if they move him to the bullpen, he could get high leverage outs right away this season. So I just think Hurt's a nice guy to have, especially in deeper leagues. Um, Jack Cohen says, How many Mets are on there and who? <laughs> uh, well, there were 15 Mets on the top 400. Uh, I'm not going to list them all, but uh, nobody asked about Christian Scott, uh, despite the fact that I thought his rise in the top 400 from basically like 200 to I think I got him like around 75. I thought that was the most noteworthy riser on the entire update. So, you know, if Christian Scott, the stuff is better than I thought it was. Um, we'll talk about a, a few guys where uh, after digging in the, the stuff was uh, worse than I thought it was, but um, yeah, I thought Christian Scott just, better stuff than I thought he had. And obviously the command's excellent. And so like if he's got kind of number three starter stuff, but number two, number one starter command, I love that. That usually plays up and obviously great team context. I think everything David Stearns is going to touch with the Mets now is going to really shine um, just from a developmental standpoint. They're going to do all the right stuff there. Um, so I think they're going to get the most out of Scott. I really like him as a buy high this offseason. Uh, Big Doink says, you seem to be much higher on Parker Meadows than other sites. What stands out for you? And where do you think your opinion differs? Yeah, I mean, there's a – I know it, it's it's list ranking season and all that stuff. I can't really speak to what other sites are thinking with where they – put certain guys or anything like that, but I really don't understand why people aren't hiring on Parker Meadows. Um, if you're kind of paying attention 
last season, especially sort of starting in you know, around like Memorial Day or so. Um, you know, he was just a beast. Uh, you know, I think he hit like around 275, was on kind of like a 30-30 type of pace in the minor league, striking out at a, an acceptable clip. Um, but, you know, some other stuff working Meadows' favor. He's got a plus arm. He's got plus speed. He's the team's best center fielder. So, and he doesn't really have notable lefty-ready splits. So I think he just plays every day, uh, hits at the top of that lineup. Um, I think he's a safe bet to go 15-15 this year. I think he's got the upside to go 20-30. And uh, I think there's a legitimate case that he's the fourth best hitting prospect just for 2024 value behind um, Noel Marte, Wyatt Langford, Evan Carter. I think you could argue for Jackson Holiday or Junior Caminero over Meadows for 2024, but um, just just the fact that I'm happily drafting Parker Meadows as a starter in redraft leagues is something that I can't say about anyone other than those three guys uh, I mentioned. So um, I really think if you, if you kind of look at the way Meadows finished his season, there's just a lot to like there. He's going to run. He's got he's got size. Uh, I think he's going to grow into 20 homer power or more. So a lot to like with Parker Meadows. Uh, Travis Magnuson says, where would Luis Matos fall if he still had prospect eligibility? And then same question for Vaughn Grissom. Uh, I'd have Matos in that massive tier I referenced. Uh, I'd actually have both of them in that massive tier from like 20 to 62. Um, I'd probably have Matos around 40th overall, uh, right by uh, Pete Crow Armstrong. And then Vaughn Grissom I'd have in that tier, but just like a touch higher, kind of by Curtis Mead. Um, just because Grissom, he's got an everyday job in the big leagues, uh, whereas Matos may or may not have one of those, uh, probably start the year back at AAA. Uh, Buck says, why did Ethan Solace drop? Um, I mean, yeah, again, he's in that big tier, so he dropped within that tier. But like, if you want to prioritize Ethan Solace over a bunch of those guys, go nuts. Um, you know, he's, he's a, at least a year away, probably. He plays the position that I want the least prospects at, catcher. So just, you know, if, if that's your cup of tea, the, the young uh, catching prodigy, like you can, you could bump him up to 20, but uh, that's not necessarily what I'm looking for. Uh Bip says, if you had to plant your flag, which Atlanta pitcher are you taking, A.J. Smith-Shaver or Hurston Waldrop? Well, as you can tell by the fact I have them back-to-back at 29 and 30, it's basically a toss-up. There were iterations of the rankings where I had Smith-Shaver in the top 25. There were other iterations of the rankings where I had Waldrop in the top 25. Um, If Waldrop had more of a track record of throwing strikes he doesn't even really have that much of a track record of throwing strikes. Um, but if he did have a lengthier track record of that, he'd easily be top 25 for me. This stuff is just ridiculous. Um, and obviously we love that team context there in Atlanta. Um, but, I'll, you know, I'm, part of me just wants to refuse to answer this question because I really, like, again, I just went back and forth on those guys. Um, but if you make me answer, I'll just say Smith-Jobber. He's actually younger than Waldrop um, and has that MLB experience. Uh, 
facts asks are my rankings stat based or are there players with bad stats but still highly rated uh well they're based off i would say they're performance based like you could say stats or performance but um you know looking obviously under the hood and you know if a guy was lucky or unlucky factoring that in as well but um my rankings are based more off of stats than any other factor um but i do obviously factor in like video and um stuff from scouts and all that stuff as well uh if you struggle in a small sample while being young for a level you can still rank um quite high on the rankings um but i don't think i've got anyone highly ranked who struggled over a large sample at an age appropriate level um you know again with pitchers they'll show you how good they are um and with hitters you know so many hitters had monster years in the minors last year if you didn't have a good year in the minors as a hitter at an age appropriate level there should be a really good reason why um sean calavig says who are your favorite candidates to be the biggest risers this season that you currently rank outside your top 200 and then how does some of the top names of this year's international class slot in your overall ranks and first year player draft ranks uh so the guys that i expect to be big risers are not outside the top 200 they're inside the top 200. um that said uh i'll list some guys here who i think might be underrated uh, Jose Perella, uh, DSL outfielder with the Guardians, Michael Arias, uh, righty with the Cubs, Zahir Hope, uh, who the Dodgers obviously just traded for, Ruben Santana, third baseman with the Diamondbacks, Carlos Lagrange, uh, righty with the Yankees, Luis De Leon, uh, lefty with the Orioles, uh, Pedro Catui, outfielder with the Diamondbacks, Ryan Bergert, uh, lefty with the Padres, and Trevor McDonald, uh, righty with the Giants. Uh, I think those are guys that are post 200 that, that might be underrated. And uh, if you if you're worried about like the spellings of, of these guys I'm listing or which team they play for and all that stuff, uh, just check out the article version on Thursday. And I will have a lot of these guys listed in the show notes as well. Um, as to the that first year player draft question, uh, I mean you got to subscribe to the site to see where they all slot in. Um, but I put eight guys from this year's J15 class into the top 400. Two of them are in the top 100. Leo DeVries was the top guy at 59 overall and 12th for first-year player draft. Again, those first-year player draft rankings, uh, top 100, are fully updated to reflect this top 400 update. And I do have tiers um, in those first-year player draft rankings. Uh, Matt Logan says, I've noticed Nelson Rada moving up quite a few lists uh, center fielder with the angels but don't know what to make of it does he have the potential to grow into power or is he just improving all around uh, rada i think is a better real life prospect than a fancy prospect just due to his um, potentially plus center field defense uh, i don't think he's really that close to being a viable 15 homer bat um, he could get there he's super young obviously the angels really aggressive with assigning him to, to single a last year um he could grow into 15 homer power but i think we're like three four years at least away from that and 
you know, right now he projects as just a light hitting leadoff guy. He could steal 30 plus bases, uh, but I don't trust the Angels to to get the most out of him there. And, you know, we just got to wait to see if the power comes. Um, Stretch says in Dynasty, when dealing productive vets such as uh, Paul Goldschmidt, Jose Altuve, Marcus Semien, Yu Darvish, Justin Verlander, what prospect range are you looking for in return compared to what's a realistic return? Um, is it a big risk dealing proven production for potential production? Um, well, like, you know, last year, uh, Eno and I traded Verlander uh, for George Springer in a league. Um, like, it, it doesn't have to be prospect for prospect. Um, I wouldn't deal the three hitters you listed if you're contending, like Goldie, Altuve, Semyon. Um, if you're rebuilding, um, you know, you can you can move those guys, of course. Uh, you don't even have to be looking for prospects, though. Uh, that startup draft I'm in, like Altuve went right before uh, we took Glaber Torres, right behind Josh Young. So you could get a really good young hitter in some leagues for, for Jose Altuve because of how good Altuve is going to be in 2024. Um, Marcus Semien in that startup went ahead of Adley Rutschman, Matt McLean, and Tristan Casas. So those are awesome young big league hitters where there's not potential production. You know those guys are good. <clears throat> so you don't have to settle for when you're dealing guys that are as good as Altuve and Marcus Semien, you don't have to settle for a prospect necessarily. Um, with you, Darvish and Justin Verlander, I think the time to trade those guys, if you're a rebuilder, is during the season, you know, kind of like around June, July, if they're healthy and productive. Because at that point in the calendar, the contenders in your league know who they are. They know that they've got a chance to win the league. So then at that point, it becomes worth it to unload future value for a guy like Darvish or Verlander, who you know, like they, they could bust out at any point or not bust out, but you know, they could just one more big injury for Verlander and he's probably done. Uh, but if you're a team that's trying to win your league, you might be willing to give up something better in season to get those guys when they're healthy and they know the team knows that they can help them go for the league title. So uh, I know I didn't really like specifically answer that exact question, but um, you know, if I have Darvish and Verlander and I'm rebuilding, I'm just going to roll the dice and try to get into the season where I think I can get more value for those guys. Um, P. Tome 1297 says, Cam Collier, he's so young. Why did he drop? Uh, Collier with the Reds, you know, he's a long ways from the majors. Probably like four years away from the big leagues, three, four years away. And at best, he's going to be a four-category guy. So he's not going to run at all. Um, his age is a big positive just from like a developmental standpoint. He needs to work on getting the ball in the air more. So that's something he can work on and, and something he might be able to do, like just given how young he is and all that stuff. But it's actually like also sort of a negative kind of given how big he is. Like he's going to really have to stay on top of his conditioning. Um, who knows what his body looks like three, four years from now. So um, I don't think he's going to be a rapid mover through the system. And you know, at best you're talking about a four category guy. So um, that's the reasoning there with Collier. Uh, Scott Corlander says, how did you split the hairs between Colt Emerson and Max Clark? What kind of lines do you expect in the majors? Emerson with the uh, Mariners, obviously. Clark, uh, 
Tigers uh, fourth, uh, third overall pick. Um, Emerson seems like the safer bet to me to hit for average and power. And then Clark obviously has the, the speed edge. Clark could be a 30-plus steal guy. Uh, Emerson, I know he stole some bases in his debut, but he's probably no more than like a 15-steal guy at peak, and he might even just slow down completely uh, by his mid-20s. But um, I really care about uh, what guys do in their pro debut, uh, more so than I'm sure plenty of other uh, evaluators do. Uh, I just you, – you can learn stuff about these guys just in a – even in a, in a small sample. Um and I think Emerson just having the better debut than Clark is what pushed him ahead to me. Uh, I think Clark could be like a 275 hitter with 15 homers, 30 steals, leadoff hitter. Whereas I think Emerson is more like, you know, his upside is like 300 batting average with 25 homers, 10 steals, and he's more of like a number two, number three hitter. So d- different difference to his statistical profiles there. Uh, Ding Dong McGee says Roderick Arias' zone contact uh, was apparently frighteningly low in the Florida Complex League. Not a concern to you at all? Question mark. Um, yeah, I mean he he had a zone contact was below average, um, but he also didn't chase very much, and the the power and speed were on full display. Um, like I don't think Arias has a more concerning hit tool than like or i think it's actually less concerning than like sebastian walcott's or drew jones for instance so um, that's why i have arias just inside the top 50 if i was not concerned at all about his hit tool he'd be in the top 20 based on his power and his speed so i think putting him at 47 factors in the the risk there um mike says ryan clifford was destroying baseballs in the astros system where he was sporting a 900 plus OPS throughout the year with a 300 plus batting average. Uh, he then struggled mightily upon joining the Mets. Do you think he's a candidate for a big jump this year now that he's had time to settle in? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think he'll be much better than he was after the trade. Um, you know, there's that rule, um, or at least a rule that I tend to kind of subscribe to where first base prospects just kind of have to always be mashing. Um, there's just such a small margin for error there. Um, and so the fact that he, he did struggle after the trade is just a tiny bit concerning, but like I said, I think the Mets, I think you're going to see, um, a lot of their guys uh, perform really well this year. And, uh, Clifford is, you know, he's still one of the better first base prospects out there. Um, but he is, he's away from ways away from the big leagues. Uh, Travis Pastore says he's, He's curious what the difference is between Cole Young and Colt Emerson and what pushed Emerson up and, and Young down in this recent update. Uh, just impact potential. Uh, like I see Cole Young turning into maybe like a Bryson Stock type of fantasy player, but with like half as many stolen bases, whereas I think Emerson could be like a top five fantasy third baseman at his peak. So it's, it's just the impact potential there. Uh, some other questions about these guys. Uh, three putt par says talk about Cole Young heading into 24. Uh, ground ball rate was down um, from from last year, and the walk rate was up. ISO improved from A to high A while maintaining a strong K rate. Surprised to see him drop as much as he did. Uh, just the yeah, I mean like 
power and run grades aren't great for Cole Young. I think it's important to look at what he did uh, with Everett because Everett is a is a homer friendly home park, and he hit five of his six high A homers at Everett. The other one he hit out was in Spokane, which is an even more hitter friendly park. So I wouldn't read too much into that that power spike. Um, there's you know no denying that Cole Young has a strong hit tool. He's going to provide defensive value. I just I think you're talking about maybe maybe a 15 homer guy, um, maybe a 15 to 20 steal guy. So, you know, he could he could be very useful in fantasy, but I just don't see him being like a 20 homer guy or a 30 steal guy or anything like that. Uh, McClunky says, and this is so I just had basically multiple people asking why did I move Colt Emerson up like ahead of Cole Young. Why did I move Colt Emerson up ahead of Max Clark? And then this guy, McClunky, says, why are you so low on Colt Emerson? <laughs> so, I mean, that's just, this is what I get with these uh, mailbag episodes. Um, he says, age, distance, power potentially, crust the ACL and California League last year. Uh, profile very similar to Jackson Holiday. Um, why, and then I have him ranked in tier three in first year player draft. So why the disrespect? I can't even tell if he's being serious here, but is is having the player who is the number 22 overall pick in the draft last year and played 24 pro games. We've got that player ranked 33rd overall, and you're asking why I'm so low on him? Um, like if I would put Emerson top 20 or something, I would have gotten a dozen questions asking for me to justify that. So I, you've got to either be related to Cold Emerson or just the biggest Cold Emerson believer to, to think of that as like a disrespectful ranking. Um, and this is an elite first year player draft class. Uh, so just, it's not, it's not a slight to be behind Matt Shaw, um, to be behind Walker Jenkins. Uh, Cole Emerson's a really, really good prospect. I did not expect to get that type of question about him. Um, now this is, this is good stuff here. Cause I, I love it when you guys hold me accountable. Uh, I got several questions about you, Min Lin, um, undersized D-backs lefty, uh, why I, why he fell off the list. Um, so that was done on purpose, but I think in, in hindsight it was a mistake, and I actually added him back to the top 400. Um, I want the top 400 to be a very useful tool for you guys, and so I just think he should have been on the list. Just the strength of his uh, off-speed stuff, the fact he's gotten a double A, um, Human Lynn should have stayed on the list. Um, and usually when subscribers are miffed at a guy not being on the list, they're right to be miffed. This isn't like when I tweet out a picture of the top 25 and then a non-subscriber makes fun of the rankings because they don't see Ethan Salas in the top 25. Like, you know, with Lynn, there's got to be room on the top 400 for a pitcher with his caliber of off-speed stuff, uh, with his experience at AA. Uh, that said... Undersized lefties with plus changeups um, and below average fastball velocity, just they typically get hit harder and harder as they climb towards the majors. And that's been the case with him. Um, like if he works out, I think it's going to be kind of like a Logan Allen type of thing. Um, but, you know, it should be noted that Logan Allen actually had, was a better strike thrower than Lynn at high A and double A. Of course, Lynn has a better breaking ball than than Logan Allen, but um, you need excellent command to pull off this kind of profile. 
with the fastball velocity where it is with the Lynn. So, um, you know, to sum it up, I think it was uh, an error on my part to, to bump him off the rankings. I There were a bunch of guys I wanted to fit on. And so when I'm looking for guys to move off, I'm usually looking for a starting pitcher or just a pitcher because um, fewer pitching prospects on the rankings, the better. But um, just the fact that I did bump him off initially is me essentially signaling that I'm not a believer in him making it as a big league starter. Uh, Mike Brown says, what happened in the last couple months to drop Carlos Rodriguez of the Brewers so much? Uh, fastball just wasn't as good as I thought it was. Um, like he, I think he was throwing a little bit harder like in the WBC, but uh, he was sitting in the low 90s, and that was kind of a theme. Like So with, with Thorpe, with Lynn, with Rodriguez, kind of a theme on this update, uh, just uh, trying to – value fastball velocity a bit more than I have in the past here. Um, you know, I think we, we're seeing very kind of conclusively at the big league level that, that that matters more than ever. So with these guys with like the 92 mile an hour fastball, um, you, you might see some down arrows next to those guys. Uh, so that was the case with Rodriguez. I might, I think I might've gone too far in the other direction though with him. Um, and again, like once we're, once we're in this sort of like, 180 to like 250 300 type of range you know this is it's it's pretty flat like there's not a massive drop off from like 180 to 280 really um danny j says you and chris welsh are 199 spots apart on ivan melendez is it just welsh loving d-backs or something else that accounts for the discrepancy uh you know i can't speak to why welsh has Melendez ranked somewhere, but um, I mean, I think his hit tool is pretty terrible. Um, he was a little old for double A, still had a 35% strikeout rate with a 6% walk rate. That's just, that's really, really bad for a first base prospect. Um, I know he was productive. He's going to hit homers in the minor leagues. I just think big league pitchers would really exploit Melendez. Um, so I, you know, I almost didn't even rank him, but uh, just for a guy with his power, who's in the upper levels, um, put him on there. But not a believer at all in Melendez's hit tool. Steve Gray says, uh, "Was wondering if your lack of love for Nathan Martorella is his age at level, uh, solid contact, still batting eye, with hopefully more power to come." Yeah, Martorella was one of my last cuts. Just you know, first base prospect with a 25% hard hit rate. Um, per the, the Roadwire uh, Sports Info Solutions data. 253 average as a 22-year-old at age-appropriate levels, like makes a ton of contact, but it's just okay contact. And, you know, I'm with like a first base prospect who's his age with his batted ball ability, like I'm not assuming that there's more power coming. Um, you know, he should be getting to his power right now. Um, and he's, you know, Martorell is basically the opposite of Melendez where it's just not enough impact for first base, whereas Melendez doesn't have good enough hit tool for first base. So take your pick on which of those profiles you prefer, but I'm uh, not really a believer in either guy. Uh, Zwibby says, considering his beautiful swing and zone contact rates, especially the good hard hit numbers, but higher ground ball rates, is it unrealistic to see Jackson Merrill as Christian Yelich? Not talking about peak MVP year, but just 
consistent Yelich years. Um, yeah, I mean, I think you could see a similar evolution with Merrill in terms of just getting to more power in games, kind of like we saw with Yelich. Uh, but Merrill's more of a batting average guy, whereas Yelich is more of an OBP guy. Um, we're excluding those MVP years, obviously, where Yelich was awesome at everything. But, um, you know, the other thing is Yelich just runs more than the, I don't. I don't think Merrill's ever going to be like a 20 steal guy, really. Um, Facts says, how much does age factor into the rankings? Who is the oldest prospect? Uh, Michael Bush, Matt Cantorino uh, with the Twins, who – could be kind of like a closer type of guy, um, maybe a starter still. And then Sawyer, Gibson, Long, and Spencer Horowitz. Uh, Long, obviously, started with the Tigers. Horowitz, first baseman with the Blue Jays. They are the only 26-year-olds on the top 400. Uh, then Wayne Grows, Jelly Sandwich says, uh, Cole Kerrig, is he the ultimate boom or bust prospect? Um, you know, he he's maybe the ultimate boom prospect because if Carrick can hit for power in games, like he flashed uh, late last season, then, you know, look out. Um, Cause he can pretty much do everything else. And I think he can, I think he could get there. Um, but I also don't see massive bust potential with him. Like he's just, Carrick's good enough at, at enough things where I don't really see him being just a massive bust necessarily. Um, Okay, I think uh, that'll do it for the podcast version of the episode. Um, I will have the written version up on the site uh, Thursday, and then hopefully the first year player draft blueprint up on the site either Thursday or Friday. Again, the Dynasty rankings updated next week. So just Tons of great stuff up there on Roadwire. I know they just did the roundtable update. So um, definitely a good time to subscribe if you're not already. And thanks to everyone who sent in uh, the great questions. I'll be back with a, another episode next week. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.